championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com. Your home for everything. Lakers, your Lakers just picked up an overtime win. Joining me is Matt the Optimist Peralta. Matt, the Lakers beat the Spurs. I feel like I just lost years off of my life. That was a stressful, another stressful game, but a win nonetheless. Yeah, uh, at this point, given, you know, the Lakers were without LeBron James, first road trip, uh, clearly still figuring things out defensively, which I'm sure we'll talk about. I, I think you have to be just looking for wins at this point, no matter how you can get them. Although I will say that I wish the wins were not in these kinds of fashions where they're down to the wire. And yeah. like you said, I feel like I'm a young 27, Trevor, but I definitely feel a lot older today than I did yesterday. Technically, I am, huh? But way older. <laughs> but, but like a lot, not just a day. But I like a lot. Right. <laughs> well, welcome in, everybody. If you're coming in from YouTube, from Facebook, from Twitter, welcome. We're going to be taking your questions and comments. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, make sure you do follow us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, CastBox, whatever. Uh, make sure you do follow us there and leave us a rating and review, preferably a five-star rating if you don't mind. All right, so the Lakers get the win over the San Antonio Spurs. The LeBron-less Lakers, the Lakers decided to rest LeBron James, dealing with an ankle injury from last game. Desmond Bain got knocked into LeBron's leg uh, by Dwight Howard and resulted in an ankle injury. And now LeBron, he was first probable, then questionable, then no, just kidding. He's out and not playing for this one. We'll have to wait and see if he plays tomorrow night in Oklahoma City. That's right, the Lakers have to play another game in like 21 hours after this overtime game. But Anthony Davis, 35 points, 17 rebounds, four assists, four blocks, 15 to 31 shooting. Russell Westbrook, this is the Russ we were hoping to see. 33 points, 10 boards, eight assists, three steals, 15 of 27 shooting. Russell Westbrook getting it done with LeBron James off the floor. 10 points chipped in from, that's right, that KG veteran, Austin Reeves, HBK, chips in 10 points of his own for the Lakers and 17 for Malik Monk, who I thought had a very nice game, especially in the offensive end. The Spurs were not going away. You got 27 points from Jakob Pertl. Oh. Yeah, that, that's pretty much my reaction too, Matt. 27 and 14 from Jakob Pertl, 13 to 17 shooting. DeJounte Murray, 21 points for him to go along with. 12 boards and 15 assists. That's right, the Lakers defense gave up a triple-double to DeJounte Murray. Uh, 21 points for Lonnie Walker, who is 7 of 10, shooting 5 of 7 from 3. So if you're looking for the random role player that tend, that just blows up against the Lakers out of nowhere, it's Lonnie Walker. Oh, wait, but it's also Devin Vassell, who dropped 19 points with 7 rebounds, something only the Lakers seem to get on a night-to-night -night basis. Matt, at the end of the day, though, they get the win, and that's the important part here. They got the W, 2-2 two and two on the season, we talk about process over results, but still, it feels a lot better when you get a win. Right. The wins always make the process part, you know, worth it at the end. Obviously, there are a lot of things we can quibble about as far as how the Lakers look tonight. Certainly within the second and third quarters where it looked like defense was optional for them and uh, I mean, I, and I told you this pregame or pre uh, before the show, Trevor, mm -hmm. but I think this is just kind of a new normal for the Lakers where 
I think they're going to just have to outright outscore teams until the defense figures itself out once they get rotation guys back. I really do think the formula at this point is to get out and run, score as many cheap points as you can, and hope that you can you know, manufacture stops yeah. at the end of games, kind of like tonight. And frankly, against like the Grizzlies on Sunday. So again, the win is nice. Two and two on the season, kind of washing off that bad start, that those bad vibes, that bad taste out of Lakers fans' mouths. That's what I'm really, you know, here for right now. And, you know, on the bright side, looking a little bit forward, they get a game against OKC tomorrow. They get a back-to-back against the Rockets. They play the Portland Trailblazers, and then they play the Thunder again. So we're looking at a really favorable stretch here for the Lakers where they can conceivably get to an 8-2 and two start. Not not counting anything before they hatch, obviously, yeah. but you know that's definitely within the realm of possibilities here given you know how they've looked so far. It certainly is. I mean, look, they, they, it wasn't pretty, right? Defensively, we've got tons of concerns. I put it out there on Twitter. I took a snapshot of a play <laughs> where a Spurs shooter, was Devin Vassell, was shooting, and... There was no Laker anywhere close to him. In fact, in the paint, three Lakers were defending one player. It was Rondo, Russ, and uh, Dwight were all defending one guy in the paint watching a Spurs shooter from behind the three-point arc, and that was at the end of the third quarter. And, of course, he made it. Um, It was some of the ugliest defense that I've seen out of this Lakers team, this Frank Vogel iteration of the Lakers, and yet they still walked away with a win. On the positive side, the glasses have full approach here. They did what we hoped they would do, right? I mean, wasn't the whole point of bringing in Russell Westbrook so that, hey, on those nights when LeBron needs a night off, somebody else can pick up the slack. Somebody else can carry the burden and get the job done. And again, Russell Westbrook tonight, 33 points, 10 boards, 8 assists, 3 steals. He was magnificent. They don't win this game without him, right? Early test. For the strategy of the Lakers, going with three stars, so you've got another one to step up. If one of those guys is out, check that box. They got it done. Right. This is what we hoped for. If there's ever a night, and we knew there were going to be nights where LeBron, AD, are going to have to sit either if it's injury-related or just rest-related. One of the other two stars had to step up. In this case, both Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook did in LeBron's absence. That's exactly what we wanted to see. I don't think it's a surprise that, you know, this is Russ's best game by far, given the lineups that Frank Vogel was trying to put him out there with uh, as far as spacing the floor and giving him room to run to the rim, hence the 15 out of 27 from shooting. Mm -hmm. I thought he was relentless attacking to the basket. Obviously, the thunderous dunk in overtime um, in the half court was impressive, got the crowd going, loved that. But that was basically Russ in attack mode all night. Russ with the space floor is the best version of Russell Westbrook. We saw it before, and now we're seeing it with the Lakers. So it's something that I hope the the, the coaching staff and Vogel look to use going forward. But yeah, um, you take a win how you can get them, especially as as the Lakers have looked so far. And after those two-game struggles to start the season, you absolutely are happy with where they're at now. Yeah, 100%, 100% right? You're happy that they got the win. There's some concerns, but the Stars were able to step up. In fact, let's just let's get into it. The 360 award for tonight to the best star. Obviously, LeBron not in there. So he's not an option. So Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis. Matt, which one is getting the 360 award for you tonight? It's definitely Russell Westbrook. I think he was the engine tonight. Obviously, AD was spectacular tonight as well. Like you mentioned, 35 points, 17 rebounds, four assists, and four blocks. Um, You know, you can make an argument for either of these guys, but I definitely think it was Russ because, again, I think he was the one that really ignited the team, especially in the fourth quarter and overtime. I think, you know, we've been talking so much about energy and effort, um, especially when we hammered those two points in the Lakers' first two losses. So to see, you know, Russ really uplift the team and get them going and 
to be honest, like be the driving force that they needed to get over the hump and get over the finish line tonight, I, I think absolutely has to go to Russell Westbrook. See, so before we came on the air here, I told you, I said, you said, who's going to be your 360? I said, it's going to be whichever one you don't pick because they were close <laughs> enough to where you can make an argument for either guy. And I think that's a great thing. On a night where, the LeBron, where LeBron James isn't in action, you've got both guys making big plays for the Lakers. Uh, you've got Anthony Davis, 15 for 31 shooting, 17 big boards, 4 assists, 4 blocks, 35 points, 0 of 4 from 3. That's really the only complaint there. I thought defensively he made some nice plays. There were a few times where he didn't get back down the floor when he should have. And then, of course, we had that scare the end of the fourth quarter with the knee injury. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what that looks like for tomorrow. And he did look like, at first glance, it looked like it was non-contact. Yeah, It did. And that was scary. That was very scary. He was in pain, holding his knee on the ground. But... The overhead view shows you a Spurs player's knee actually hits with Anthony Davis's knee. That, I mean, it's weird saying this. Hey, another guy hit his knee with, hit your knee with his knee. That's a good thing. But compared to the alternative, just a a, a, a contact knee injury is better than non-contact. So hopefully he'll be able to go tomorrow. If he doesn't, maybe we'll see LeBron back in action to kind of pick up some of the slack there. But I thought Anthony Davis was tremendous tonight. I thought he was physical in the post. I thought he was doing everything he could to score around the rim. And again, 15 of 31 shooting, 17 boards. That's a monstrous night from him. Yeah, this is AD of old. I, I feel like, you know, as I was watching tonight, I was thinking to myself, how many nights from AD did we get like this last season? that shortened season, that COVID pandemic season. I can't really call too many of them. So to see AD come out tonight and put one of these performances up on the board and remind us and the rest of the league that he is legitimately a top five, top six player when he's healthy was good to see. And then, you know, going back to Westbrook, I did want to highlight this too. We've been talking a lot about the turnovers and the struggles with decision-making and playmaking, but tonight only three turnovers compared to eight assists. So that's also another bright spot. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely a bright spot. All right, let's get into the chat and see what we've got coming in here. We've got some people asking some questions. Uh, all right, this was a question that I saw quite a bit. So somebody on YouTube said, what was wrong with Avery Bradley? Is he hurt? Why did he not play? So Avery Bradley was the only Laker who was healthy to not play. LeBron James, Wayne Ellington, both not healthy. Technically, Wayne Ellington was available to play, but Frank Vogel said unless it was a complete emergency, he wasn't putting him in. He's still recovering from that hamstring strain. So the only truly healthy Laker to not play in this game, Avery Bradley. And this was a game where I thought the Lakers could have used some defensive help. So what gives, Matt? Why do you think Avery Bradley was not part of the rotation tonight? Well, I, I, don't, I don't know if you saw this flying around or floating around on mm -hmm. the Twitter sphere, Trevor, but uh, Avery Bradley actually put up no counting stats the last time he played with 20-plus minutes. <laughs> uh, got, that's uh, it. Like that's hard to that. do. That, that's hard to do. It's like you're just getting cardio. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, getting, your, getting your steps in for that day. But no, seriously, though, I, I think Frank Vogel looked at this game and said, you know, Austin Reeves, who I'm sure we'll also talk about, uh, was having a solid two-way game for the most part. I thought he, again, was another spark. Played a lot a lot of minutes tonight. Uh, how many minutes he played? He played 30 minutes on the night tonight, Trevor. Quite a bump since the first game, right? Um, and then also Malik Monk just had it going. I thought he was really good connective tissue offensively mm -hmm. as far as, you know, scoring from outside, PNR. You know, we have not given Malik Monk 
enough praise for how he's handled the playmaking duty as a secondary ball handler. I thought he was fantastic tonight. Uh, he throws a really mean pocket pass, and I made sure to tweet that out because I thought it was really impressive. Uh, didn't always end up with an assist, but I think that you know having playmaking chops on a night where you're missing LeBron James is very important. So I think you know those two Reeves and Monk proved that they deserve the lion's share of the minutes. Mm -hmm. I did think there was some instances where we could have used Bradley, um, especially over Rondo. Uh, the Westbrook and Rajon Rondo pairing was not my favorite of the night. No. Uh, if I had to critique Vogel tonight, that was definitely one of them where, to me, it's just it's a spacing issue. It's it's a defensive issue. So if, you know, if you're going to have two non-shooting guards out there, I would at least prefer one of them to be a defensive-minded one. So in that case, I could have definitely seen Avery Bradley as far as um, playing over Rondo in those kinds of minutes. But... Um, you know, to tell you the truth, I really just think that Vogel wanted to make sure that the spacing was pristine for Russell Westbrook down the stretch. And I do think that Reeves showed enough shoot, uh, playmaking and shooting to warrant those minutes over him. There were there were moments where Malik Monk would do something on the defensive end, and I was wishing it was Avery Bradley because it would have been handled a lot differently. Right. But I can't complain about Malik. Today, Malik Monk's offense outweighed the defensive concerns. That won't always right. be the case, but... We have to give him credit, and I think you're right. I think Malik Monk was so good offensively that even the Vogel, he probably saw the same stuff I was seeing and more defensively and was probably driving him crazy, but he knew that he was getting more on the offensive end from Malik Monk than what he was losing, and so it made sense to keep playing him. Six for 15 shooting, eh, but four for 10 from three, 40% from deep from Malik Monk. You mentioned the playmaking three assists. And a plus 31, team high plus 31 on the night. Austin Reeves, uh, a few mistakes out there, but he provides that floor spacing for you. Two for four from deep and uh, it did have a couple of turnovers. One turnover wasn't really his fault. It was a pass that I forget who he's passing it to, but the guy didn't step into it. And so the ball got, got knocked away. But I thought Austin Reeves was fine too. But I mean, who would have thought that here we are four games into the season and Austin Reeves is getting 30 minutes a night, and Malik Monk is a starter playing 40 minutes for the Lakers because they're out of players, right? I mean, when we step back and we look at this rotation, and as much as we can say, hey, Avery Bradley could have been useful on the defensive end, Frank Vogel, going in tonight, had five rotation players out due to injury. Of his 10 players he had available, six are guards, three are bigs, and one's a wing. That's that's the mix that he's got. So I still don't think that's an excuse for playing Russell Westbrook and Rondo at the same time. I still think those minutes should have absolutely been staggered at all costs. There was no reason for them to be on the floor at the same time. So don't I'm not making that excuse for Frank Vogel, but if you're Frank Vogel going into this game and you're trying to piece together lineups that work, good luck. Good luck when you've got that mix of players. Yeah, it's a tough job. Vogel was already going to have his hands full before the season with all his players healthy, but somehow the problem is even worse when specific guys like your wings are missing and LeBron and Trevor Ariza and et cetera. So, you know, I mean, listen, there are a lot of things I can quibble with with Frank's rotations and his lineup choices, but the man is doing what he can with what he has on hand. Um, but I will say this, though. I think that the silver lining with guys being out and getting extended looks from players like Monk and Reeves is that once the roster is fully healthy, I think you're not really going to see Rajon Rondo. I don't think you're really going to see Wayne Ellington. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're really going to see Avery Bradley. I think the lion's share of the backcourt minutes are really going to go to Monk, Kendrick Nunn, Taylor Horton Tucker, and Reeves. That would be my, and obviously Russell Westbrook. So that's that's going to be my early prediction here.
Yeah, I agree. I think that's what you're going to see happen. Uh, I had somebody ask Andrew Muth from uh, YouTube, the Super Chat, said, could we still sign Kevin Love? He could really help this team with rebound and spacing the floor alongside AD and Russ. Well, Kevin Love is not a free agent, uh, so they can't sign him. If he gets bought out by the Cavs, they could, but to tie into this conversation, you would have to cut Avery Bradley or Austin Reeves in theory. Both those guys are the non-guaranteed guys. Obviously, it's not going to be Austin Reeves, but uh, is it going to be perhaps Avery Bradley that they wind up cutting? And look, if you're in this situation with the Lakers, and you're in this game and you need help on defense and Avery Bradley is still not getting minutes, why have him on the roster? So I think that would be the move, would be to to cut him. Although I, He can still be a valuable player. He can still be a guy that can come in and help. But if that's the Lakers' mindset, that he's behind everybody else and there's a guy out there that they want, he would probably be the guy to go to bring in someone like that. So at some point, that could be an option, but the first thing that has to happen is Kevin Love has to get bought out for the Lakers to add somebody like that. It's not like they can call him up right now. LeBron can get on the phone, say, hey, we got a jersey for you. Okay, cool. I'm a Laker. Now, a lot has to happen before then. I mean, theoretically, the Lakers could also just trade away a player and clear up a roster spot that sure. way. That would open up a, a path to keeping Bradley and signing Kevin Love. But after seeing after seeing four games of the Lakers and their defense, do I really want Kevin Love to ex- exacerbate more issues? <laughs> Uh, no, I would prefer a wing and I've been yelling this for like the past two months now, even when they had a 15 spot still, um, on nights like tonight, right? Where LeBron's out and your only credible wings are Kent Bazemore, who is a little undersized at six, five and Carmelo Anthony, who is compromised and can't hang out on the perimeter anymore. Uh, yeah, I I'll, I'll take a wing, please. I'll have one of those. <laughs> yes. They, they, they are badly in need of that, of a wing player. I mean, we look at the box score. Right, you look at the offensive rebounds. Nine offensive boards for the Lakers, sixteen for the Spurs. Once again, the Lakers get badly beat on the glass. And I keep coming back to it's because they're having guards play wing positions because they don't have any wings. That's what you need more than anything else right now. Yeah, I agree. This they're they're an awfully small team once you get past the centers. So having another six 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 seven guy you can slot in there and and take up those wing minutes. I, I that's beyond preferable at this point. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. All right, let me get further into our chat here. We've got all kinds of questions and comments coming in. Somebody said, uh, Russ was amazing today, but the defense made Pirtle look like Jokic. Really bad, really bad switching. Um, Well, again, I think this goes back to our discussion about the wings. The problem is when you're switching right now, you're almost stuck switching a guard onto a big and a big onto a guard. Like, you don't have... If you're going to run a switching defense, which is what the Lakers typically do, the ideal situation would be you have a team full of five guys that are 6'7 to 6'10, somewhere in that range, and they're all quick, and they're all big enough to to bang inside, and they can all box out and rebound a little bit, and you can just switch everybody, and it doesn't matter, right? The Lakers go so far extreme the other way right now. They've got bigs and guards and nothing in between really so if you do get a switch situation it's a guard on Pirtle, which we did see happen a few times so that's going to be a challenge right there but still yes it's frustrating seeing the lakers give up so many points due to defensive errors yeah, we, we've been talking a lot about the Lakers' size, but when we talk about Lakers' size, we're really talking about their front court. But 
if you really look at the roster, the Lakers have lost a lot of quality guards with size the past couple mm-hmm. seasons. Obviously, starting with Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell Pope, who I know isn't the biggest guard, but he's had decent size at 6'5". Alex Caruso, big one. My favorite, Wesley Matthews, who's a little shorter at 6'4", but a sturdier guard who can hold mm-hmm. up in the post and doesn't get moved too easily off spots. You trade those guys in for Rajon Rondo, uh, Malik Monk. Um, you know, when switches happen like that and you've got small on big... Um, the Lakers are going to be forced to double, send extra help, which opens up a lot a man advantage for the Spurs, which is what I wanted to kind of talk about is that the Lakers defense, I thought, struggled a lot tonight because they found themselves in a lot of four on three, three on two mm-hmm. situations where they're down a man. And, you know, Greg Popovich's coach teams are very good at finding the open man, swing, swing passes, moving the ball and then getting an open shot. And you saw that constantly tonight. So. Again, until until Trevor Ariza and LeBron are healthy or they find wing help somewhere, this is what most nights are going to look like. And that's kind of why I refer to it as the new normal, because I think you're going to see a lot of this all the way up until the playoffs and probably in the playoffs. Well, and that's that's a key to Frank Vogel's defense, right? He's largely been okay getting put in those situations if it means running a switch and not giving up an open look because he believes his defense will rotate fast enough to prevent that open look from coming. And and you mentioned it, the Spurs are a good team at exploiting that when you're in a four-on-three situation or or whatever kind of a man-down situation you're in. Frank Vogel has always relied on, okay, yeah, but my guys are going to rotate like hell. They're going to be on the money with exactly where to go, when to go, who's going, and all of that is not true right now. Right, they're not only making the wrong decisions; they're also not quick enough to do it effectively. Like when it was when it's AD and Danny Green and Alex Caruso and Contavious Caldwell Pope, and those are the guys that are down a man. If it was five on four, and those are the four that are tr- that are trusted to cover the floor, they're covering that floor because they can. They don't have those guys. They don't have the ability to do that now. So that's what the Spurs were able to exploit. Yeah, like just to make myself feel a little bit better prior to this game, I was actually watching the 2020 NBA Finals uh, game six with the Lakers against the Heat. And the most jarring difference here is that obviously the Lakers still couldn't shoot in the finals, but defensively, there was never a rotation miss. It was crisp. Everyone was rotating on the back mm-hmm. line. When one guy got beat, the other recovered and helped and then got back to their assignment. And, you know, it's not really fair to grade a finals caliber team Very against true. this Lakers team. But I just want to point out that they've got a long way to go. There is quite a gap between where they used to be and where they are currently. Because tonight you can point out a handful of just, you know, defensive breakdowns or miscommunications throughout the night. Uh, Pick your favorite quarter and I guarantee you there's at least four or five instances of it. And so, again, I'm I'm not super down on the Lakers defensively. I think they'll get there or at least I think they'll get moderately close Mm -hmm. to where they used to be because I trust Vogel and AD and LeBron. But... It just goes to show you that it, I think right now it really is going to be we just need to outscore teams until we can figure out how to get stops. Yeah, that's really it. I mean, we saw there were a number of plays. There's one where Russ and, and Reeves both went to the same man who was cutting through the paint and left a guy open for three. Like, it's just little things like that that add up. And that can be tough from the fan perspective because defense, so much of it happens away from the ball. So much of what happens right. isn't it doesn't like jump right out, out at you, right? Like like Russell Westbrook knifing down the lane, throws down the hammer dunk, glares at the crowd, swears a few times, like there's no missing that, right? Like it's very obvious. Whoa, that guy's good at basketball, you know? But then when you've got something happening on the defensive end of the floor, 
it's harder to pick out, okay, that's a good good defender versus that's a bad defender when things are happening off the ball. And what the Lakers have right now is some guys who aren't quite as good defensively, number one, just that's not their mentality, that's not their skill set. Number two, they're small. And number three, they're shorthanded. They're missing guys, and they don't have that chemistry. So you've got kind of four things working against them there defensively. And so you're right. They're going to have to kind of outscore teams uh, for the time being. For the time being. Hopefully this will not be the thing forever because guys will get healthy. The chemistry will get better. The rotations will improve and all of that. But this is where we are right now. Uh, shout out to our friend Mark Gunnels because I think the most appropriate or apt comparison for the Lakers right now as far as an NFL perspective is, is the Kansas City Chiefs who are absolutely atrocious defensively mm -hmm. and will look to win games solely off the back of Patrick Mahomes and outscoring other teams. I think that's kind of where the Lakers are right now too. So Mark, if you're listening, I hope you enjoyed that comparison, brother, and I'm sorry for the loss this past week. Yep. Yeah, that was a, that was a rough one. I was surprised how easily the Titans rolled over the Chiefs this last week. Um, yes. Yes. So a few quotes, quotes from Frank Vogel coming out of uh, the postgame presser said, Anthony Davis banged knees with a Spurs player. They'll have to see how he responds overnight to figure out what he's going to look like against the Thunder. But again, good that the confirmation is contact injury versus non-contact. That's important. Uh, Vogel also said tonight, like you and I said, Matt, tonight was a great example of why the team traded for Russell Westbrook. He said, that's why we feel this is a great move. Last year, we lost Braun and AD, and we didn't have enough. Tonight, LeBron was out. They still had, it wasn't pretty, but they still had enough to get the win. Yeah, agree. Um, not to your first point, non-contact injuries are always very scary. You you never want you never want to see that. Usually results in, you know, some sort of ACL or MCL tear. So good to know that AD mm -hmm. avoided that. But I think kind of like the LeBron situation here, of course, he was able to play through it because he was warmed up and there was a lot of adrenaline going throughout the night. But we'll have to see how the knee responds the next 20 hours or so, especially, um, you know, just via travel and, yes. it, and, you know, time away from the court. And then second point, um, yeah. This is the benefit of trading for a third star. It's kind of the Brooklyn Nets formula, where if you've got one guy out, you still got two very talented players who can carry your team. In this case, Russell Westbrook stepped up, and that's 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 really it. So kudos to, to Russ for stepping up in LeBron's absence. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. They certainly did. Speaking of stepping up, Matt, let's do the next Man Up Award. So which non-star and chat, let us know. You're coming in from YouTube, if you're coming in from Facebook, Twitter, whatever, let us know your thoughts. Which non-star player, so not LeBron, not Russ, not Anthony Davis, which one stepped up the most tonight? And I have a feeling we're going to agree on this, but Matt, give me, give me your pick. Yeah, you know, the chat usually gets mad at me because I don't really pick the obvious guy all the time, so, but... <laughs> I think in I think in this case tonight it's warranted. It's definitely Malik Monk here. Yeah. Um, 17 points, three assists, a steal. Uh, played nearly 40 minutes tonight. Um, for all my gripes, and let, let me back up a second before I say anything else about Monk, is that um, I know it sounds like we're pretty critical of players when we're talking about you know their miscues sure. or yeah. their flaws or their or you know what they're not good at, but. That's just as being objective as possible. Because I'll be I'll be honest, like there were a lot of nights where Monk was incredibly frustrating. Um, a lot of those defensive lapses I was mm -hmm. talking about, I was kind of referring to Malik Monk because he either one got outright beat guarding his man one on one, or uh, was you know didn't have the spatial awareness off ball to re to realize a guy's cutting behind him, and that led to a lot of layups and dunks for the Spurs. So 
that part is absolutely frustrating. But on a night where defense was optional for most of it, Malik Monk pouring in 17 points, being the third leading scorer behind the two big, uh, the two stars in Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis was absolutely huge. Nailing that three-pointer in regulation to give the Lakers a two-point lead and swinging the momentum that way incredible shot and you know just being a constant threat both on and off the ball I think you know defenses have to respect it um, you know if he's wide open they're closing out hard if he's got the ball he can dribble drive and either create a mid-range shot for himself or create for another person which we've already talked about so I definitely think this is a roller coaster ride mm -hmm. of a game for Malik Monk but ultimately the pros outweighed the cons and so he is definitely my next man up tonight yeah can't I can't disagree with that Matt you know you look at Malik Monk, and again, it all comes back to he gave you more on the offensive end than what he gave up on defense. That won't always be the case, but tonight he was excellent. He gave you more than he gave up. Sure, the defense will always be a concern. Can he improve there? Yeah. I don't think he's totally a lost cause defensively. He tries. He just, he just needs work there, right? But on offense, you have a lot of nights where, like this, it pays off to have him on the floor. And I'll tell you what, I was also impressive, impressed with Frank Vogel trusting him to initiate offense. There were a few plays where they gave him the ball and said, okay, go ahead, create for us. And he's not bad at that. Like, he's better than I thought. When he came to the Lakers, I thought, okay, this is a guy, he can shoot from outside, he can score, he's got some hops to him where you know you can occasionally hit him on a lob or something like that, but not really the size to be a consistent finisher at the rim. But if you can get him on a breakaway or something, he can get up. He's got the ability to do that. He's got the ability to attack the basket. I didn't think he had the passing chops that we've seen so far this year. And Frank Vogel, to his credit, has taken advantage of that and given him the ball in a few situations. Now, he's not using him as a true point guard. But he's given him a little bit of that playmaking responsibility. And so I think that's great to see as well. Malik Monk has impressed me there. Again, if the defense can come along, he'll be infinitely more valuable. But if his defense was better, let's face it, he wouldn't be a Laker right now because they wouldn't have been able to get him on a veteran minimum. Yeah, that I've got a couple points here. That was actually one of them is that how insane is it that Malik Monk is making the veterans minimum when we all thought he was getting at least a mid-level exception. Yeah. So, you know, kudos to the Lakers for landing an absolute steal in free agency. Uh, two, what I like about Monk, and I know we've talked a lot about his pick and roll passing, especially his pocket passing, which I've been incredibly impressed with. But I think it's the simple plays that are also equally as impressive to me, because if you watch Monk, uh, if he dribbles into the lane and he gets walled off, he has really good basketball sense to navigate and find the open guy or in the flow of an offense when the ball gets swung to him and he's got a defender rushing at him. He makes a simple pass and, you know, makes the extra one to the open guy for a good look. So to me, it's those those little plays, the ones that don't necessarily always end up in a, an assist or something in the box score. Mm -hmm. To me, that's been very impressive for Monk. And I'm, you know, excited to see that this is already happening early on because I think we also forget that he's also an incredibly young player. I believe he's only 23 or 24 off the top of uh -huh. my head. So there's still definitely some development and upside to him. And I don't know whether or not he'll stick long term with the Lakers. But I do think that as the season progresses and Frank Vogel gets a better feel for how to use Monk, especially in lineups next to LeBron James, because I think the other exciting thing about Malik Monk is that he gives the Lakers another three-dimensional or three-level scorer that they haven't had previously, mm -hmm. him and both him yes. and Kendrick Nunn, really. Because 
there's not a lot of guys on the Lakers right now that can create off the bounce and, and, and you know, go get a bucket, quote-unquote, right? So to have someone like Monk to do that, that's awesome. And the playmaking is just an added bonus that I wasn't expecting either. Yeah, exactly. That, that's it. It's something that you can't find easily in an NBA player. The Lakers got it for a veteran minimum. Like, that's... That's incredible. I've got I've got one person saying y'all still won't stop the trash talk. He played great in the fourth quarter on defense. It's not uh. trash talk. Here's the thing, right? Like like we talk people if we say anything negative about Carmelo Anthony, there's mellow stands out there, right? That are that are looking to, you know, go at anybody who says anything negative about the player. We just try to be objective about the player and say, look, there's strengths and there's weaknesses, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Again, if Malik Monk was this incredible defender he's not on laker right now he's on another team right now right so you take the good with the bad it's how you put the pieces of the puzzle together in terms of what a guy can or can't do and we just try to be realistic with that and then you work with what you've got it's not oh i i don't it's not like i have something personally against malik monk or any of these guys we want to see these guys play as well as possible Right, we want all of these guys to do great and improve in the areas where they need to and continue to thrive and and all of that. But we also have to be realistic and say, okay, this guy has these strengths, another guy has these strengths. How do you combine this? How do you put these pieces of the puzzle together and make it work? Trust me, we have no ill will towards any Lakers player. We want to see all of these guys succeed. I could not have said that better myself because. I think the frustrating thing about, you know, when you dive into games sometimes is trying to remain as objective as possible. And to me, you know, again, Malik Monk had an outstanding night. The Lakers won mm -hmm. because of it. So I'm happy. You know, I, I want Malik to be good. I want Carmelo to be good. I want every player on the Lakers to be good. Like, I wish we didn't have to do a master lock of the night and pick a Lakers some nights because, you know, you don't want to trash your or, or dump on your guys no. too much. But when there are nights when guys, you know, make mistakes or are not quite as good as they can be, then, you know, you have to you have to point that out. Just like when we highlight the good stuff with Russ and AD just a couple nights ago, we were talking about, yeah, Russ didn't have a great game and, you know, he's got to work on some things and that's going to happen night to night. Yeah. There's not going to be a perfect night from every guy. But and if they did, then the Lakers would be undefeated. <laughs> so, yeah. Like what Trevor said, I'm I'm all for the Lakers being good and performing well. And if a guy has an off night, then you got to call it like you see it. But if they have great nights, then you have to make sure that you highlight those. Two. Abs so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, Russell Westbrook has been master locked this season more than any player in the NBA. He leads the NBA this season <laughs> in master locks. And yet he was phenomenal tonight. He was fantastic. And I love being able to say that Carmelo Anthony th shot one for seven tonight on four points. That's my spoiler alert. That's my master log. <laughs> he was he was not nearly what he was last game when he dropped 28 on six for eight from three and he was incredible and everybody was raving about him. He had an off day. Right? These guys are going to have up and down performances and we try to just stay even, right? Stay middle with it. Um, but speaking of which, somebody said that Dwight Howard, and I want to get in this. It was a super chat. I saved it. So I want to make sure I go find it and read it exactly here. So the person gets credit, but it was a super chat about Dwight Howard. So let me pull that up. Uh, Mr. Easley with the super chat said, Dwight Howard was one of our unsung heroes on defense tonight. Was second in the oh, team yeah. in plus minus. How long before Vogel makes him a starter? So I didn't I think this was a terrible DeAndre Jordan game. I thought that no. he actually looked fairly good. Nine boards, two blocks, seven points for him, 16 minutes. I thought he was not... DeAndre Jordan didn't play himself off the floor tonight. But right. overall, like if you were to ask me in a vacuum, which one's better, DeAndre Jordan or Dwight Howard? 
I'm picking Dwight Howard. Uh, eight Same. boards, two blocks, six points for him tonight, plus 12. But do you see at some point Frank Vogel saying, okay, Dwight, you're the starter now? No, I don't. And it's for a couple of reasons. Obviously, of course, Frank Vogel has been pretty stuck in his ways, to put it nicely, in terms of his starting lineup. If something... Even, you know, and I'll give him credit for the playoffs when he does adjust and go small or inserts another guy. But for the most part, for a regular season lineup, I think he likes to stay stay even keeled and stick to his lineup because he likes continuity. Mm -hmm. He likes to be able to stick to his rotation patterns and sub guys in and out on a consistent basis. So, you know, guys get a normal feel for when they're going to come in, when they're going to go out, what their minute situation looks like. So in this case, for that, that's reason one why I don't think DeAndre Jordan's getting benched for Dwight anytime soon. And then two... Uh, we talked about this previously, and Frank Vogel's talked about this previously. He likes Dwight in that off-the-bench role as the backup big to beat up on smaller second units and backup bigs. I think that's where you really see Dwight's value. And, of course, when called upon, Dwight can play next to 80 in crunch time. We saw that a little bit tonight mm -hmm. in the fourth quarter. So, you know, that's in his back pocket as well. And then, you know, just one important distinction here. Again, if the Lakers are going to run two big lineups, to me, it never really matters how like what the starting lineup looks like. To me, it always matters like who gets the bulk of the minutes. So if DeAndre Jordan plays the first quarter and the third quarter and doesn't play the rest of the game, I'm totally fine with it. I do know that there are arguments to be made that the Lakers need to get off to better starts. So therefore, they should just go smaller or just outright start Dwight. But, you know, for the most part, when we're talking regular season, I think that there is a benefit to making your rotation patterns and your substitutions as close to um, identical as possible mm -hmm. from a night-to-night -night basis. So all in all, what I'm basically saying is that, yeah, I don't think Dwight's going to start anytime soon, barring an injury to DAJ. Agreed. But I also don't think DeAndre Jordan is going to start for the entire season. I think we're going sure. to get a point where I think the plan, and this is me, but I think the plan was for Anthony Davis to start at center. And then the Lakers got hit by so many injuries, Frank Vogel looked at what was left and went, I don't really have that other wing guy that I really wanted to start. Taylor Horton Tucker's gone, Trevor Reese is gone. Both of them had arguments to be starters. Um, with those guys out, Vogel's option was either start Carmelo Anthony or start DeAndre Jordan. And he chose to start DeAndre Jordan. And I think that makes sense given the overall team construct to go that way. I think at some point, though, once guys are healthy, they're going to go to Anthony Davis starting at the center spot because I think that was the plan all along. In terms of what they've got right now, I think if you were to flip it, let's say Vogel says, you know what, Dwight, you're better. The better player needs to start. You're going to start. And look, that's not to say DeAndre Jordan can't have some impactful nights or can't have nights where he's better than Dwight. I'm just saying overall, I think Dwight's a better player than DeAndre Jordan. But I think if you were to flip it, I don't know that you get a better Dwight Howard. I don't know for sure if, if you do. I know you get a worse DeAndre Jordan. Because what's going to happen to DeAndre Jordan when you're putting him in a bench unit alongside Carmelo Anthony when instead of, let's say DeAndre Jordan gets put in a pick and roll situation, and instead of Anthony Davis being there to help cover, it's Carmelo Anthony in the bench unit. Then his, his shortcomings are going to really stick out. So again, in terms of what the trade-off is, I don't know that you're getting a better Dwight Howard, but I know you're getting a worse DeAndre Jordan who isn't able to hang out at the rim and block shots nearly as much because he's got to get out on cover and cover because he's not sharing the floor with Anthony Davis. So I don't see them making that change for that reason, but I think ultimately long-term, maybe it's in a few months, long-term Anthony Davis will wind up starting at center. If we get Anthony Davis starting at center, 
<laughs> sometime during this regular season, I will be the happiest camper alive because I've been calling for it all summer. They talked about it a lot. It was alluded to a lot. So I really do hope that's the plan. And it makes sense for Vogel to kind of revert back to what he's used to and what he's comfortable with, the two big lineups, when he doesn't have the bulk of his wing rotation available mm -hmm. to him and the guards for that matter too. So, you know, maybe you're right in that if when things do, when players are coming back and they're healthy and everyone's up to speed, then yeah, maybe we see more Anthony Davis at center and we we put, we mothball De, uh, DeAndre Jordan and Dwight's the only big off the bench. That would be ideal. Yeah. But I'm going to, I'm not holding my breath. No, no, agreed. Agreed. <laughs> People saying, you're talking about mellow like that? It's not crazy to say that Carmelo Anthony is not the defender that Anthony Davis is. That is not a shot at Carmelo Anthony at all. Oh, my goodness. Uh. Kiki from YouTube. Thoughts on Monk's defense. He looked amazing tonight. I, I think he looked oh. I think there were moments where he looked better. There were moments where he looked. I agree. But we've seen worse. There were also moments that, to me, really stuck out where I went, I, Monk really blew it on that rotation, right? Right. But for him, it wasn't a terrible defensive night. There were still moments where he messed up, right? But... It, so I can't look at this and say, oh, great defensive performance by Monk. I thought it was better than what we've seen. But uh, again, he had a great offensive night. And you, and you yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to just put it this way. It's really hard to stick out defensively if you're if you're doing if you're doing it, if you're a poor defender. Um, and so when you can point out <laughs> uh, specific instances that are just straight up blown coverages mm -hmm. or you miss a rotation, uh, that to me is a sign that that player is not the greatest defensive player in the world. But to your point and to the comments point, I thought it's better than how he's looked so far. There were a couple of good things he did. Like I saw him a little bit more aggressive on ball screens, fighting over those. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, he did a pretty decent job recovering to his man and rotating over in some instances. But for the most part, you know, it's going to be a work in progress from the Link Monk. You know, he has the athleticism, the agility, the speed to not be a terrible defender by any stretch. So I do think a lot of it's coaching and getting familiar with where his help is and who he's on the floor with. But great defender is kind of a stretch. I'm not going to go quite there yet. There were definitely a lot of lapses there tonight. But I think, you know, I'm a little optimistic or encouraged that he'll eventually get to a halfway decent defender, if not an outright average one. Yeah. Yep. That would be great to see. And that would make him that much more valuable. This is a topic, Matt, we have to get into. This just came in. Sure. Vanya Gajic from uh, YouTube said, how are we using a two-big lineup and still allowing 16 offensive rebounds? If Pirtle can get 27 and 14 on us, it concerns me what elite big men can do. I've seen that comment quite a bit. How is it if the that. Lakers are starting bigs and they're still getting decimated on the offensive glass? So this is something I think we need to discuss because last game against the Grizzlies, the Lakers uh, allowed the Grizzlies to shoot 100 times. They shot 84. There was a 16-shot differential, and the Lakers won. You normally will not see that happen. Tonight, the Spurs shot 108 times, the Lakers 105. Why? Well, the Spurs had a few more turnovers than the Lakers did, and so that helped even things out. But the Spurs still won the offensive boards battle 16-9. to So why are the Lakers still getting beat despite the fact that they do have their bigs out on the floor. Yeah, so I've got a couple thoughts on yeah. this one. The first one being is that even though it's a two-big lineup, it doesn't necessarily always equate to the uh, rebounds being available mm -hmm. uh, um, near the rim. Because uh, it's an adage in basketball where the longer shot you take, the longer the rebound is. And so yes. I thought tonight, even though the Spurs missed a lot of you know open threes, 
those rebounds are coming, you know, around the free throw line extended or, you know, just outright outside of the painted area. And so if you've got, you know, Anthony Davis and DeAndre Jordan, you know, going toward the rim, um, those two bigs are not going to be able to gobble those rebounds. And now you're left with three guard size players trying to battle against four other players on the court for a rebound. So that's one. Um, two, um, you know, it's kind of the inverse, right? Where if the Lakers are going big with AD and DeAndre or Dwight and the other team's going small, kind of like what the Spurs did tonight, uh, you're dragging one of those bigs away from the rim. So you're kind of negating the advantage that you get mm -hmm. rebounding with size next in the painted area. So that's two. Um, and then three, outside of Russell Westbrook, the Lakers don't really have good rebounding guards. Um, you know, Alex Caruso had size. Wesley Matthews had size. Um, those guys were really good at crashing the boards, kind of like Lonzo Ball, yeah. um, who, by the way, is killing it in Chicago. Um, you combine all those factors, and I think that's why you're starting to see the Lakers, you know, yes, they have size, and yes, they should be dominating, you know, their own offensive glass. But when it comes to cleaning up defensive boards and giving up offensive rebounds to teams, um, I think it's a mixture of all those things. And, you know, I don't really have a good answer for how they solve that. I think, obviously, having someone like LeBron James back mm -hmm. in the lineup to offer some size and as a wing player, um, that will definitely help. Uh, and then, you know, obviously adding a Trevor Ariza who probably has more size and length and instead of having, you know, like let's say Malik Monk down there trying to crash and get defensive rebounds, I think that'll help as well. But I think right now it's probably going to be a persisting issue for the foreseeable future. And, you know, I think that's just, again, another reality that you kind of have to live with. So I've got some people in our chat that are saying that it's a hustle issue, <laughs> that they're not exerting enough effort. That's the problem. Uh, I think that's an oversimplification. Some people are saying sure. it's not a size thing. It's not that I've got here. I've got a comment from Rafael Garcia that we don't have wings is uh, excuse is trash. Our big men are just getting out hustled in the paint. Uh, that's not true. No, <laughs> but see that that's not it, right? I was thinking about this as we were watching the game. I wish I, I could go back and count how many long threes have turned into offensive rebounds. Because it's happening a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and that's a source of offensive rebounds and extra looks for the other teams that our bigs aren't able to get. And so that's been a, been an issue, right? Because you don't have those guys. Again, once you get past those bigs, whether it's one big or two that's on the floor, AD, Dwight, uh, you've got Jordan. With those three guys, once you get past them, you've, you're at a size disadvantage, right? Kent Bazemore is 6'4", and he started at 3 tonight. Okay, so you're at a size disadvantage at your other position. So those longer rebounds are largely going to other players on other teams, right? They're able to grab those. We're also seeing a lot of offensive rebounds when if we have one big, he gets switched out. Or you've got two bigs yep. and one of them's out on the perimeter. You get a switch because one of our guards on the perimeter gets beat. And next thing you know, so you've got, say, Dwight comes over to contest the shot. The shot goes up. And who is it that's dropped on to Jakob Pertle? It's... Malik Monk, right? Who's 6'3". It's just going to be an easy tip-in at that point. In the past, it may have been somebody a little bit bigger, somebody with a bit more size on them, somebody able to deal with that a bit better. I think you also have just some flat-out some issues in terms of uh, execution, how you're actually boxing out. Some guys have had the tendency to miss box, out, box outs. We saw that earlier in preseason. But it's all of those things come together to create what is becoming a very real problem. Whatever the, whether it's mostly the the smaller perimeter players, whether it's mostly long bounces, whatever it is, it's a problem, and it's something that the Lakers are going to have to figure out ways to solve. Because again, it's very hard to win games when you're giving up a lot of extra shots 
in the way of offensive rebounds. Yeah, a couple points here. One, it's just math. The more shots you yeah. take, the more points you'll score. So that's obviously an issue. Two, um, and it's kind of a... We've been talking a lot about wings, and so I've been kind of pounding the table now that the Lakers need another 4-5 switchy kind of yes. guy that can slide up or down. Mm-hmm. Um, because let's face it, too. Um, after LeBron James and arguably Carmelo Anthony, they don't have another player like that. Yeah, yeah, you can maybe argue Anthony Davis because he plays four, but he's actually just a five. Um, I'm talking about, you know, like a Paul Millsap, uh, Markeith Morris, you know, Jermichael Green mm-hmm. type of player where, yes, they can play small at five, but, you know, they can also provide size at the four. The Lakers don't have that guy on the roster currently. And so, you know, that's also contributing to the size issues on the boards. I definitely think that is something to look out for. Um, and yeah, I, this is just a personnel issue at this point. And I do want to point out that, yes, energy and effort, you know, two buzzwords that we use literally every postgame mm-hmm. show are, are you know, convenient, like, excuses or reasons for why something doesn't work on the floor. But Tonight, I don't think energy or effort was really the issue. You don't you don't have a 125-121 game unless you're trying. Um, and we have to remember too, the Lakers were actually down 12 points in the fourth, uh, heading into the fourth quarter. So to battle back and to tie the game up and ultimately win in overtime, you know that's not a lack of effort. Um, so while yes, I do agree that sometimes it just comes down to wanting it more mm-hmm. and being the better team and and hustling more and you know outplaying your opponent just physically or or you know mentally. There are legitimate, you know, personnel issues or lineup issues that that will be afflicting the Lakers for the for the rest of the season, honestly, because this team is not perfect. They have very clear strengths, but I still think they have very clear weaknesses. And to be honest, I still don't think they have quite of an identity yet. So until all those things get sorted out, it's not always going to be an effort and energy thing. I think that there will just be issues that they cannot overcome and they'll just have to make do with. I mean... I'll disagree a little bit because I did. There were moments in the game where I looked at the Lakers and I went, "Oh, Frank Vogel's got to be pissed right now with that effort." There were there were moments sure. where I thought the closeouts weren't just bad because of miscommunication. There were moments where I thought the closeouts were bad because of effort. There were they started off with great effort to the point where I think he even tweeted like the uh, the Lakers' effort on defense has been noticeable, and then that waned once we got into the second quarter. And that kind of went away. And even it was at the end of the first quarter, we saw it. They've been terrible closing out quarters lately. They've been bad. I don't know what that's about. But in any event, there were moments where I thought the effort was bad. So I understand where people are coming from saying it's an effort problem. But I don't think that's the biggest problem when I look at their offensive rebounding. I think there's other things that are contributing. But I see key moments in the game where effort stands out as an issue. And so that's where I see it could be easy to make that assumption that the rebounding problem is also an effort issue when we're seeing somebody not close out hard to a perimeter shooter, when we're seeing Rondo and Westbrook both in the paint looking at each other while somebody shoots a three, right? Moments like that, those stick out like a sore thumb. People remember them, and then they're going to associate that with other issues on the floor. And I'd say there aren't some rebounds that go the other way because of effort, but I don't think that's the heart of the problem. Yeah, and let me clarify this too. There, I think every game there's going to be moments or stretches where the effort yeah. energy, the effort or energy wanes or dips. That's just that's just natural. Every team does that. There isn't a there aren't many teams if any off the top of my head that play, you know, full bore sure. for 48 minutes. There's always going to be a lull in a game. Um but to me, you know, when I think of lack of effort or lack of energy, the easiest reference I can probably refer to right now is the Suns game just a couple nights mm-hmm. ago where it really looked like they didn't do anything for three for three yeah, quarters. Especially that third quarter. One. That was bad. 
Exactly. So that's that's when I think, you know, energy and effort are clear issues. Right. But for the most part tonight, I thought, you know, again, like you mentioned, there were definitely lulls or instances or even just possessions where it looked like they weren't trying as hard as they could. But I thought the energy and effort level for most of the night was pretty good. Um, you know, I didn't I, it wasn't a complaint of mine. I really do think most of it's personnel based. But, you know, if and I think you brought it up or summed it up pretty nicely is that when you see it once, it's really easy to have it bleed into all the other issues you're seeing and you just kind of attribute it to that. So, you know, it's, it's that, that's where in context and parsing out the actual mm -hmm. game really matters there is, you know, diagnosing what's actually going wrong versus, okay, yeah, it's an energy and everything for everything because I saw it once. Absolutely. All right. I, I think that's a good way to to finish up the, the conversation on rebounding, but we do need to get into the master lock of the night, right? So chat, if you're coming in from YouTube, from Facebook, from Twitter, start thinking... What from this game would you like to see put in Chris Masters' finishing hold, the master lock? Um, best wishes to Chris. He had a rough day today, so best wishes yeah. to him, buddy. We're, we're there for you, man. Uh, hopefully everything works out, works out well. He got back from a trip and found that somebody had stolen his car. So terrible, terrible stuff for him. I know that was frustrating for him. He was hoping he could join us tonight, but... Uh, but he's dealing with that whole situation. So feel bad for, for Chris and uh, wishing him the best. Hopefully they're able to get that whole situation resolved. But who is going to be put in Chris Masters' master lock aside from the fool who stole his car? I do. I would not want to be that guy when Chris catches up to them. Um, but before we get into the master lock, one quick important and positive bit of news. Anthony Davis confirms he bumped knees and just got a little stinger. He said he still felt it a little bit, so we'll see how it feels in the morning after getting more treatment, but he did say that when he was moving around on it, it started to go away. So I think that's cool. that's great. That's great news. We love that. Yep. All right. Let's get into the Master Lock of the Night. So, chat, let us know who you would put in the Master Lock. Matt, let's go to you first. Who Who's going in the Master Lock for you? Uh, Yeah, I didn't really whisper it that quietly, and I know I'm going to catch a ton of flack for it but it's it's carmelo oh, anthony no. uh, i know <laughs> and i don't like doing this because it's so satisfying to see carmelo anthony scoring binges in a purple and gold jersey like that's so fun um so it pains me to do this and this is what i was talking about earlier i don't like master locking lakers guys but you know when when the team is you know trying to battle back in a win and you're only scoring four points and adding four rebounds and going one for seven and zero for four from beyond the arc like i don't know i think it's kind of warranted right 30 mm -hmm. minutes a game was a minus nine three turnovers three fouls like it wasn't a good night for mellow and you know i'm not i don't want to pile on him because obviously you know he is the nba's ninth time um, all-time leading scorer mm -hmm. he is a future hall of famer all the accolades i know people love to bring up his resume when when they talk about carmelo but you know you have to talk about what you're seeing in front of you for that night or for a stretch and tonight it was just not a good mellow game there were a few shots that i thought could have turned the game or you know kept the lakers well ahead but then you know Obviously, the looks don't go down. Now you've got the Spurs racing back the other way and scoring. And then, you know, I don't need to talk ad nauseum about Melo's defense. Tonight, I thought it was okay. Not good. Not great. A couple instances again where I was like, oh, this is such a brutal lineup with Melo in it. And I, I have to just assume that Frank is just playing with what he's got. So I'm thinking when everyone's healthy that, you know, we won't see Melo in certain alignments. But tonight, 
Just not his night, but don't be surprised if there's a revenge game coming from tomorrow because he's playing Oklahoma City. So Ooh, good. that's my good piece. point. Yeah, we've got double revenge game. We have Westbrook and we do. Carmelo Anthony coming up tomorrow. We'll talk about that game in just a minute. I got to get to my master lock. And frankly, I'm not going to pick a Laker. I'm not going to pick a Laker. There's things I could master lock. We could talk about the Lakers defense, right? We could talk about that. Uh, somebody said the Spurs for missing a bunch of free throws in a row. No, we wanted them to miss those free no, throws. I love that. Keep doing that, please, San Antonio. We appreciate it. Um, no, my master lock tonight, it's the, the referees. It's the officials. It what was happening in this game? My goodness, there were so many nonsensical calls in this one, and I get it. I get it. Refs have a difficult job. But Anthony Davis was robbed of four points and two fouls on blatant mistakes on and ones. Scores the basket, and it turns into no points getting the ball out of bounds because they ruled he was on the ground or was a foul on the ground before the shot in two instances when it clearly wasn't. There should be four more points on the Lakers total right now, plus a couple of free throws. Could be as much as six more points that were just robbed of Anthony Davis. And then you've got the weird play with Westbrook where he grabbed, I think, was it DeJounte Murray? Was that who was attacking? Uh, Kelton Johnson. Kelton Johnson. Okay, so he grabs his arm. Like, if I was a Spurs fan, like Greg Popovich was upset. He got a T. If I was a Spurs fan, I would be upset on that play that Russ grabs his arm and pulls him. He got, Russ, yeah, he got fouled right before it, but the referees didn't address that. They just let that go because apparently there was a, bump a touch foul right before that there were a lot of officiating mistakes in this one beyond just those those were the egregious ones that i thought really stood out but the officiating crew i thought just did not do a very good job tonight and it was on blatant stuff that was right in front of them and the players were getting frustrated with it and more than just and i guess on one hand credit to the lakers for playing through these things when in past games we've seen them really get thrown off by this but I felt like this was more than just a human error thing here. I felt like the referees just had, just did a poor job tonight. You know, it's funny. They were actually a close second for me. And the only reason why I didn't pick them is because that Keldon Johnson play went in favor right. of the Lakers. Uh, had that not happened, then yeah, I think they would have been a pretty easy pick. So I'm totally with you there. I tweeted it out. I had no idea what the refs were doing. I was confused. The broadcast seemed confused. And so when everyone's confused about a call like that, it's probably a sign that they're not doing their job as well as they could be. I'll tell you, for the league perspective, my pet peeve for this year, my pet peeve last year was the Trey Young fouls. And I'm not just talking about right. Trey, like that style of foul, um, where you're throwing yourself into a defender and, you know, my whole thing is, my, my big thing has always been, if the success or failure of the play is determined by whether or not the referee blows his whistle, that's that shouldn't be in the game. Right? right, it shouldn't determine your your play should not be determined by whether or not the whistle blows. It should be determined by whether or not you score the basketball. So that has been cleaned up this year so far. I hope that stays. Hope that continues. My pet peeve this year: take fouls. The fouls oh. to stop fast breaks. Our buddy Ron Gutterman the was foul. yes, and even the Euro foul doesn't even exist anymore. They've handled it there. It does it? Get this out of the NBA. It's and look, the Lakers have done it too. But we're taking an exciting fast break and we're turning it into a boring sideline out of bounds. That's not good. That's not good for anybody. Let's get rid of that. Yeah, the easy fix is just make it a technical foul yeah, shot. Exactly. And then play Make on, it one free but... throw plus the ball. 
Hey man, what I, what's my adage, Trevor? What do I always say? If it's too simple, if it's too easy, they're not going to do, so. do it. All right, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about tomorrow night. Lakers, they're playing again in like twenty hours now. They got to play another game. So, what what should we be looking for? I mean, I guess the first question is who's playing? Is LeBron playing? <laughs> yep, is Anthony exactly Davis it. playing? We don't know. Is Wayne Ellington playing? We don't like. It's hard to break down the game. Without those things being known, that said, the Thunder are very, very bad. The Thunder are a bad team. They are bad. Um, but the Lakers are also on the second night of a back-to-back. They're a veteran squad, and they just came off of an overtime game. It's going to be interesting. Classic trap game. I'm going to just put it out there okay. now. It's a very classic trap game. Young and up-and-coming team that's very young, um, very bad. Some intriguing pieces. I love Josh Giddy, by the way. Just yes. why I'm going to be smooth. really excited to watch him tomorrow. Yep. He's so fun. Uh, very Ricky Rubio-y. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, as far as the Lakers go, like, when you look at the schedule, you think, okay, yeah, that's a win, that's a win, that's a win, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? Uh, this Thunder game, I penciled in as a win before the season started. But, you know, given all the context that's happened between then and now, um, it would not shock me to see the Lakers drop a game tomorrow just because like you mentioned overtime game veteran yep. team still have to travel AD's hurt so if he, even if he does play is he really 100% I don't know uh, with LeBron James I'm not sure if he plays either just because I think because they're only tomorrow's only going to be their fifth game and we're really dealing with injuries to the stars so many would not shock me right like I would not surprise me if the the, the training staff was like they could technically play, but I think it'd probably be best to err on the side of caution and make sure they get out of the the road trip healthy. So there's a there's you know there's a realm of possibility where both of them just sit. Mm-hmm. Um, and at oh, that yeah. point, how confident are you that Russell Westbrook and you know the hodgepodge of role players here can pull out a win in OKC? Definitely possible. I just don't know right now how confident I'm at. <laughs> if this was like way later in the season, then sure. But right now, I don't know. What's the what's the starting line? Like if both of them are out. It's Russ, Monk, Bazemore, Mello, Dwight, and, or not Dwight, and, sorry, DeAndre. and DeAndre. That's it. That's the starting lineup. And your and yeah, and your bench unit is going to be yeah. Dwight, Reeves, maybe Ellington, uh, Rondo. Uh, yeah, a little dicey. Yeah, just a little bit. Avery Bradley might get in in that situation. Avery Bradley might get minutes. Um, there you go. So for everyone that was upset, maybe maybe is Siku Deboya on the road trip? I didn't look to see if oh, he was on the bench. I think he's traveling with. If the he team, is, right? maybe he'd get minutes there. Um, Mamba mentality from YouTube. The super chat said, "I'm okay for AD to sit out the next game if LeBron plays." I think that's. Sure. I think that would be a good way to look at it. If LeBron says, "I'm good," I think if you're the Lakers, you just sit AD because you figure between LeBron and Russ and the pieces around them, they probably have enough firepower to handle the Thunder, and it's a good opportunity to get Anthony Davis a night off. I think that's a pretty good way to proceed with the caveat that if he's really hurting you probably sit ad regardless of what lebron's doing right uh yeah pre-game you know frank vogel called lebron questionable for tomorrow and I, i'm surprised we didn't actually talk about this a little bit so i'll just bring it up now um it is the same ankle he hurt last year but it's in a different spot apparently yeah. uh, it's not, not the a same injury, injury doctor yeah, not quite the same injury, but it is to the same leg, same ankle. So, you know, that is definitely a little concerning. But uh, the fact that LeBron's questionable and not and wasn't downgraded to out and made the road trip makes me think that there is, you know, a sliver of hope that he does play tomorrow. Maybe it's more than a sliver. Maybe, you know, it's a 
I don't know what the uh, what the metaphor is here, but um, there's a pretty decent chance I think he plays. So maybe depending on how AD's knee responds tomorrow to treatment and the trip, maybe if AD plays, LeBron sits out again. I, I don't think you're going to see all three tomorrow, though. That's that's what I'm thinking. Right you now. know what? And that's a good point that I wasn't considering, Matt. If LeBron wasn't planning on playing either of the games on the road trip, he wouldn't have gone. Right? right. Like because or if it wasn't that yeah, bad. Well, yeah. Well, because flying on an, an ankle injury is not good. Right. It's, it's going to make it swell up. It's not a fun experience. So if there was no chance that LeBron would be available to play, he'd be at home. He wouldn't be be right. traveling because why put him on a plane dealing with an ankle injury? So maybe there is a chance that he winds up playing. But of course, it's also possible that getting on the plane is what caused him to go from probable, as we saw earlier today, to suddenly questionable to next thing you know, he was out. So we'll see. But it, to me, I do think if LeBron, if there was any chance he was going to play, that would make sense as far as why he's on the trip. If there was no chance, then he wouldn't be on the trip. Right. It doesn't make sense. And we saw it last season, actually, where LeBron was hurt and they said, you know, just stay home yeah. and work on rehab. Don't bother coming on the trip. So, you know, to me, he had enough time to decide to stay home. He ended up making the trip. Maybe it's a team chemistry bonding mm -hmm. thing. But I would like to think that it's because there's an outside shot or not even an outside shot, but a decent shot that he does play. So that's what we're crossing our fingers. Well, for. you know, Vogel's not going to say it. He's not no, going to say he is one of those coaches that loves to wait until the last minute to tell anybody what his lineup is. He doesn't want anybody like, to know in advance. If there's any if there's any sliver of doubt on anybody, he's like, well, we'll wait and see, we'll wait and see before game time. Or I'm not going to reveal that that right now. Apparently, it's a major strategic advantage, but. I mean, I guess when it is LeBron James, not knowing whether or not he's in or out can be a big deal. Yeah, it's like a baseball manager not really announcing his his lineup or his starting pitcher until like they have to, absolutely have to. So that's kind of how I, I, I picture Vogel right now. It's like, you know what? I'm going to wait. Let's just have all these guys. Let's have Trevor and Matt <laughs> and all these other Lakers bloggers and writers figure out whether or not LeBron's going to gonna play until right at the cutoff at like 430 or something. He just likes a flair for the dramatic, right? It's just a little bit of mystery mixed in there. That's what it is. <laughs> all right everybody i think we should wrap things up there oh somebody said man up with icy hot byron scott is that you come on <laughs> come on byron telling everybody to man up all right <laughs> oh man what, uh, what for any who lakers fans byron scott used to be the lakers head coach oh, and those were some of the worst seasons of my life as a fan so uh for anyone complaining about a 2-2 start and hitting the panic button already just know we have been in worse foxholes as byron would <laughs> oh, like God. to put it <laughs> byron in the, in the foxholes that's a guy i'd like to be in the foxhole with or with the arms with the arms crossed with the arms crossed and did you watch dexter trevor didn't uh i don't know if you've watched dexter. i did not you watch dexter uh-uh Okay, so for anyone in the chat who's watched Dexter, tell me right now if Byron Scott doesn't look like Sergeant Dokes. And Trevor, I'll send you a picture. Yeah, later, but... you'll have to send me a, a picture. Byron, look, I'm from the Showtime era. I love Byron Scott, but yes, those were his things. If there was a problem with anything, it was arms crossed. In fact, that was the worst Lakers drinking game ever was every time Byron crossed his arms <laughs> because you couldn't make it out of the first oh. quarter. Um, but it was arms crossed and everybody just needs to man up. That's uh can we end on this note? Um I tweeted this out, but I've been trying to figure out what my Lakers drinking game oh, is this okay. year cuz last year was Trez getting hit in the face. Yes. That was hilarious and, and, and it, it happened was sad. every game. And it happened every game. Um so I got a couple suggestions on Twitter. One of them was every time that uh Anthony Davis falls and I oh. told them immediately after. I said if we tried to do that, you will die of alcohol poisoning. 
But um, it might help you get by the Anthony Davis falling instance. Because I, I, I hold mean, my breath sure. every time. I'm just, you know, it's scary. Right, but I'm trying to think of my liver sure. and, and my overall health down the Fair. line. So I don't want to do that. So what I kind of landed on when I thought was a fun one to celebrate is, you know, Russell Westbrook mid-range bank shots. Those are always sweet. And he's always good for at least one a game. How about, I, I like that. What about Russell Westbrook heat check pull-ups with, within, within, like, 15 with, seconds with like, yeah, 15 <laughs> seconds left on the clock? God, <laughs> those are so brutal. Makes one layup. Let me chuck one from three. <laughs> oh, man. That's also in consideration. That's, so I like that. That's another... I'm going to keep tweaking it, but I, there has to be some sort of Lakers quirk this year that, that's going to make for a fun drinking game. So in the chat, hit me or Trevor with your suggestions. But right now, I'm leaning toward the mid, the, the Russell Westbrook mid-range uh, bank jump shots. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So we'll, we'll come up with something. We'll figure it out. Uh, somebody said, uh, random brothers from YouTube said, answer my super chat with a sad face. I didn't see, I've been looking for them. Maybe something happened. Didn't go through there. I'll go back after and look, but, uh, but unfortunately I didn't see one, but, uh, if you did and I didn't get it, shoot me a question you want us to ask for the next show over on Twitter, send it to me in my DMS and, uh, and I'll make sure we address it on the next one. So apologies if I missed a super chat there, I try to try to get them. Uh, I did not see it though. So again, want to make sure that I address that. All right, everybody. Thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. Uh, make sure you do subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Ring that notification bell as well. And of course, you guys can follow Matt at uh, at underscore the underscore is important at underscore Matthew Peralta over on Twitter. Follow him at Matthew Peralta on Instagram. Join me. Start following him today. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. I had, I, had, I had no idea until today that I was not following Matt on Instagram. And then I had to go through the embarrassment of hitting the request to follow, you know, because you can't just follow him. You have to request to follow him. So I'm like, well, crap. Now do I hit the button or whatever? Or do I just let this ride? Does he know that I don't follow him? Because as soon as I hit request, he's going to oh, know. Man. I just think, well, I'm the one who messed up. And I hit the button. And then, of course, like two seconds later, I get a text from Matt like, hey, thanks for finally following me back. Sorry. Uh, so quick story time. I've actually known since I've been following Trevor this entire time that he hasn't been following yeah. me. And I thought it's hilarious that let's not follow the guy I've been doing videos and live shows with for the past year. So uh, just goes to show you don't really know who your friends are until you know. So <laughs> Trevor, thanks for following uh, everyone, though. Feel free to follow me, like he said, at underscore Matthew Peralta, because whoever has at Matthew Peralta on Twitter got it way before I did, apparently. So that's upsetting. If you're somehow listening to this man, hit my dms let's work something out um <laughs> but yeah uh thank you trevor for following i'm a big fan of yours really appreciate it been a long time listener so yeah i'll uh, i'll take my lumps on that one i'll take <laughs> I, I i thought i was following matt and i was shocked to see that like that grayed out follow button i was like wait what 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 is happening here <laughs> Yeah, so fun fun times around Lakers Nation. If you guys want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Trevor underscore Lane and on Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA. Till next time, everybody. Stay safe and see you.